Oh, it is good to be in here with you guys this week. It's good to look out and see people that we've been praying for, praying with. Brother Ted, it's good to see you out at the hospital and in the house of the Lord with us today. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Miss Nina, it's good to look back there and see you and know that we are, as a church, praying for you and your family during pregnancy and just asking for God's intervention and just, we're praying for you. And so that's a... That's a good thing. Man, I've made new friends this weekend. I've got to hang out with old friends this weekend. Um, We got to serve the ladies. And I want to tell you, you are never, ever, ever more blessed than when you have the opportunity to serve somebody else. And uh, God gives you that opportunity. So don't miss the opportunity to wait a table, hold a door, shake a hand, listen to a story. Because um, that's a cool thing. Miss Bree, hey, how are you? We met you this week, and you're here in worship with us today. That's good to see. Thank you for being here and worshiping with us at Mount Zion this morning. So we're on a journey. We're on a journey through the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, just here's the quick summary. You ready? He was a cupbearer. That meant he drank the wine before the king, and if he died, then the king didn't drink the wine. If he lived, the king had a glass. So that's kind of his job. But this job, while it was kind of a... A very simple job in that he didn't have a lot to do. It gave him a lot of access. So wherever the king was, there Nehemiah was. So he was a trusted friend. He was someone that the king wanted to have around. So there he is. He's with him. Well, while all of this is going on in Persia, and that Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king, over in Jerusalem, Nehemiah's homeland, everything is in ruins. The people are dispersed, the city has been destroyed, the walls are knocked down, there is no security, there is no prosperity. Many people are afraid, many, many people feel disenfranchised. And Nehemiah's brother, Hananiah, Hananiah went over to Jerusalem and he came back and Nehemiah ran out to meet him and he said, what's it like? And he told him what it was like and he was distraught, Nehemiah was distraught. In fact, he says he was so much distraught that he wept. And he prayed. In chapter 1, it said that he wept and he wept for favor and he wanted God to work right now. But God delayed. And then we find out that Nehemiah not only wept and prayed, but Nehemiah waited and prayed. And he continued to pray and he continued to wait. And he began to look for opportunity. And one day it was the right time. And it says that he walked into the presence of the king and the king said, Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah looked at the king and he said, Sir, the homeland of my fathers lies in ruins. They need help. He found favor with the king. When he found favor with the king, then he got very specific. He said, King, I need to go there. Will you grant me a leave of absence? Check mark, king gave it to him. He said, Well, I don't even only just need to go there. He said, I also need... Letters so that every time I pass through a region, I won't get attacked. Check mark. King gave it to him. He said, well, not only do I need a leave of absence, and not only do I need letters for passage, he said, it sure would be nice when I got there if I had some building materials to take with me so that we could rebuild the homeland of my fathers. And the king said, fine, go ahead. Go into my royal forest and cut down my royal trees and take yourself over there and let's build this city. Check mark. 
So Nehemiah's got everything ready. Nehemiah gets on his journey. He's going through and he's on his way there. He gets there. He looks and to his surprise, what he thought he had visioned was actually probably worse than it really was. I mean, it was worse than he thought it might be. You ever had that moment where you're like, well, I think it's bad. And then you get there and you go, whoa, it was a whoa moment. So what did he do? He said that he rested for three days. And then one night when the moon was bright, I think tonight's going to be one of those nights, by the way. I think it's like one of those big bright moons that you don't get for a long time, and we're going to have one tonight. So tonight when the sun goes down and the moon comes up, remember that on a night such as this, Nehemiah walked around. He surveyed the wall. He surveyed the damage. He saw everything that was happening around him, and he made a plan. He knew what he needed to do. Next thing we find out is he mobilized the people. And then from mobilizing the people, he, he dealt with distractions from the outside. He dealt with distractions on the inside. And in 52 days, the wall was built. Much to the surprise of those that were his enemies. So today we're in chapter 6. And everything has been done in the wall except the gates are not hung. But the wall is complete. And now, here comes some more things into Nehemiah's life. Can I tell you that one of the things that Satan loves to do inside the church is he loves to distract us. He loves to get us on to some unfinished projects. Do y'all have any of those at your house? Do you know the ones I'm talking about? Those that you start with utter zeal and passion and it's like the very thing that you've got to do and then life happens and you come back and there's like still a can of paint sitting in the bathroom um, two months later. Well, I have to tell y'all, I honestly have one of those at my house. Well, actually, I probably have a lot, but since I'm telling it, there's only one. Um, you know those little caps that go over the screws on your toilet? You know what I'm talking about? Um... We have a toilet that doesn't have a cap on it. And so on the back of my toilet is a little pack of those little caps that go on there. And this morning when I was leaving church, I was think- for church, I was thinking about unfinished projects. And I thought, I really do wonder how long those things have been sitting there. I don't want to tell you how long I think they've been sitting there. But I'm going home today and put that cap on that toilet, by the way. But unfinished projects. Satan wants us to get us distracted. He wants us to get sidetracked. You know, I think he can use an election for that. And he can get us to thinking, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh this or oh that or oh something else. And then we take our eyes off of, wait a minute, my help comes from the Lord. He's the author of my faith. He's the finisher of my faith. Or it can come in the form of finances. Or it can come in the form of relationship struggles. It can come in the form of busyness. And it can even come in the form of a lot of good things. Because let me tell you about Satan. One of the things that he will try to do to distract you is he will use fear. He will make me afraid. It says in 1 Peter 5, 8 that he's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. And when he gets me afraid, when he lets my fear become my focus, then my eyes are not on Jesus. My eyes, he says, who can be for me or against me if God is for me? 
And we need to look at him and we need to look and say, Satan, look, you're a liar. It's been proven from the book of Genesis and it's affirmed all the way to the book of Revelation. You're a liar. My God says that he is for me. He is not against me. He says that he is my fighter, that he is my banner, that he is my help. He is my shield. He is my light. He is my peace. He is my comfort. He is my protector. And his character is good and true and strong. And I trust him. Because Satan likes to get us with fear. But you see on those days that we bow up and we look at him and go, liar. Then he'll try another tactic. He'll try flattery. What is it? 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen that says that he will disguise himself as an angel of light. In other words, he'll come in and say, you know what? You ain't so bad. In fact, everywhere you go, they sure are blessed that you're there. And we begin to think, yeah. And he gets us to thinking our eyes are not on fear, but our eyes are not on Jesus. And he'll bring it to us in that direction. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says that no matter whether Satan comes to distract us with fear or destroy us with fear or distract us with flattery, it says, for we are not unaware of his schemes. He has given us his word. He has given us his truth. He has implanted in us the person of the Holy Spirit. And he says, you need to know I don't care who you are, I don't care what's going on, and I don't care if whether you're on the high side of life and it's going well or the low side of life and it's going bad. That Satan has one goal, and that is to destroy you. He says, but I don't want you to be unaware because in Ephesians 6 he would say, I want you to do everything to stand, and on the day when evil comes, stand. It's going to come. The attack is going to come. The stress is going to come. The problem is going to come. And Nehemiah is in the middle of dealing with that. He has got a God-sized task, a great task, is what he's told us in other places in the book of Nehemiah. And every time he gets on a roll, somebody from the outside tries to destroy him. And then when he feels like he's got everything on the outside worked out, then from on the inside, they begin to destroy each other. And all the while... The goal of it is to get his eyes off of rebuilding the wall. He wants to destroy us. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 6. Let's read verses 1 through 4. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshev the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, Though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messages to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should... This work stop while I leave it and go down to you. Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. You see, up to this point, Sanballat and his sinister 
buddies had tried to intimidate through attack and to intimidate through words and, and intimidate through rumors. They had tried to get Nehemiah distracted and destroy him by their strength. But when word got to them that the wall had been rebuilt and that the evil tactics had not worked, now all of a sudden they say, hey, guess what? Come on, we're going on a retreat. Now, we're not going just on a retreat. We're going down to a retreat on the plains of Ono. In other words, that would have been like, let's go to the five-star resort, hang out together, and let's be friends. Look, you won. And all we want to do is offer a little offering of adoration to you. We want to be there. There's Satan's flattery. Yes, I won. They tried to knock me down. They tried to kick me but nope. And so I'm going to go down there, eat, drink, and be merry. But Nehemiah, remember how he started this whole thing. For four months he wept and prayed. Every time he came to an intersection, he would say, and I called out to the Lord before I answered, or I cried out to God. I did this thing. And so when the tricks come, he's aware of what's going on around him. They're trying to get him to falter. They want him to fall. The enemy suddenly become Nehemiah's friends. So this is how you can remember it. Nehemiah said, oh no, to oh no. Yep. And why would he say oh no to oh no? Because just because it glittered, it was not gold. All right? It was a scheme. It was an attack. They wanted him to leave Jerusalem. They wanted him to leave that place where his armies were there. He said, I can't leave. I'm carrying on a great project. I can't go down. Why should the work stop here while I leave it and go down to you? It says he did that four times. I mean, they didn't just take the first no. Second, third, and fourth, no. One of the most helpful things that we can do to resist temptation is to remember that God has called each of us to a great task. It's true of every believer, whether you're just now joining Mount Zion today or whether you've been here for a number of years, it is for us to remember. It is a great task. There's never more of an important time for us to remember that than right now because our hope is not in government. Our hope is not in transition. Our hope is built on nothing less. We are the church. This is the guidelines for the church and we need to be there and we need to love people and we need to walk beside them and we need to offer them the hope that is Jesus because no other hope will prevail. Every hope will be destroyed. So how do we do that? How do we resist Satan? I'm going to give you an acrostic. That means what the first letter, I think I'm using the word correctly, the first letter of, of the, each sentence forms a word if you circle them and pull them out and put them in order. Does that sound right? Okay, because sometimes I don't use the words correctly, but I really do like what I'm thinking. <laughs> All right, so let's look at it. What do we need to do? We receive instruction from God's Word. Instruction from the Word of God. You say, Pastor, every time we come together, you always tell us 
Go to the Word. Go to a small group. Get in Bible study. Have a personal time alone with God. Have a quiet time. Yes, because God gave us this book, this Word that He preserved, and He gave it to us without error to instruct us in in truth and in righteousness to point out to us when there's sin in our life to point out to us when we need to be bold to point out to us when we need to be humble to point out to us all these things about himself he says this is what I've given you get your instruction from the word of God because I'm going to tell you if I go back and forth between CNN and Fox News somebody's lying and maybe both of them Because one tells me that it's falling apart and the other one says the best day in a long time. The hope is in God. He is the immovable, the unchangeable. He is the one from where my help comes from and He is the lifter of my head. And I can look and say, Jesus is the answer. And let me tell you, I don't care anything else about this. Our community needs a government because we need order. But more than our community needs a government, it needs a church that says Jesus is the answer. It needs a church that will walk into the streets beside people, hold their hands and say, not only do I want to give you a hand out, but let me give you a hand up. And that's not always financial. Do you hear me? We receive instruction from the Word of God. We have ministry involvement. We get involved in ministry. We're to be involved in using our time, our talents, our treasures in the work. What does that look like? I don't know. I I can't really give you an exact definition. I can tell you that on some Saturdays... It's dumping a trash can at Mount Zion. On another Saturday, it may be working in a yard. On another Saturday, it may be at the hospital visiting somebody that's sick. Or it may be preparing for a lesson that you're going to teach the next day. But it's saying, God, I tell you what, I'm going to receive my instruction from you. And I'm going to be involved in making a difference in the world that I live in. Do you know that God says, I know the plans I have for you. I know that I have ordered your days and that if you're in this community right now, it didn't slip by God and He put you here, He placed you here, He allowed you to be here so that you could be a part of the solution for His kingdom from today forward. It's asking God, how? How do I make your voice known? But see, it's not just instruction from the Word of God. It's not just ministry involvement, but it's praying In faith. God, I'm calling on you. God, we don't know where to turn. But we know who to turn to. We don't know what to do, but we know who to ask. God, we don't know how we're going to pay for it. But we believe you called us to do it. And for what you Decide, you provide. God, we are trusting you this day. We're not going to back up. We're not going to let up. But God, we're moving forward. We're looking at your word for direction. We're saying, just like Nehemiah, you go back and you say, why this ministry involvement thing? Remember after Nehemiah 
wept and prayed that he committed himself to the work that God wanted accomplished? He said, Lord, you want it? I'm available. Use me. Use me up. Take me out of the comfort of Persia. Send me to the destruction of Jerusalem. I'm there. There was praying in faith. There was adoring Him in worship. God instruct me. God include me. God let me cry out to you for help. And God when I cry out to you for help. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you in a song. I'm going to worship you in a service. I'm going to worship you around people. I'm going to worship you by giving my all to you. Every task, God, if I do it, there's no small task if it's in the kingdom of God. God, you show me. You use me. Let me be this piece of puzzle in your plan. And I'm going to worship you. I'm going to enter your gates with thanksgiving. I'm going to enter your courts with praise. I'm going to declare this is the day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. God, I'm going to give thanks in my trials because it's in my trials that somebody else may see perseverance. It's in my trials that somebody else may see power. God, I'm going to worship you in my valley because I don't know your purpose in all of it. But God, I'm yours. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship God in the fire. So people could see that there was a God. Daniel in the lion's den. David in front of Goliath. The apostles in front of the accusers. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to worship you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but Satan, you're a liar. And if you get my eyes off of Jesus, then I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to look at him. God, I'm worshiping you in this moment right now. You alone are God, and my Facebook's going to show it, and my life's going to show it, and my text messages are going to show it, my demeanor's going to show it. God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I'm going to care for others. Can I tell you all a really crazy story? There's a guy that comes here. And I honestly don't know his backstory so well. I don't know if he's, if he's homeless. I don't think he is. Um, but I will say that life's not at, at its highest point for him right now. That's the best I can tell you. And he walks in, he walks up, and every time he comes, he says, Pastor, I'm bringing my offering today. The first time it was a quarter. Another time it was literally just a few pennies. Last Wednesday night it was a bottle of water. He said, this is what I got to bring today, but pastor, I'm bringing it to you. And I left here Wednesday night. I guess my mind went to the widow's mite, to be honest with you. But then I thought, you know what? My friend may know something about giving that I haven't quite grasped a hold to yet. He may know more than I do about it. Because what he had, he brought. Yesterday he came up and it was 
a nickel, some pennies, a dime. I don't, I don't remember what it, all it was. But he said, that's the offering. I think that was the coolest bottle of water I'd ever received. And I've got those few pieces of change laying away from all the other change in my car. When I got out of the car, I looked at it last night and I said, Lord, could you help me understand that? When I got in the car this morning, I looked at it and I said, Lord, could you help me understand that? Caring for others. Using it. Lining up with you. There's a T coming. We're almost to impact. It's telling others about Christ. If you want to have an impact, you get your instruction from the Word, you have ministry involvement, you pray in faith, you adore via worship, you care for others, you tell others about Christ. Satan is a fraud. He's giving a lot of answers and people are grabbing and buying and hoping and all of this kind of thing. But the impact comes when we say, here's my life. God, I'm a sinner. That sin separates me from you. But by the blood that Jesus shed on that cross at Calvary, you took an old creature and made a new creature. You took what had no hope and gave it hope. What had no life and gave it life. And God, my offering, my, my desire to have an impact, my desire to follow you, God, you are it. Satan, you're a liar. Jesus, you're truth. And we're going to buy the truth. And not fall into fear. And not fall into that. So you see, you got a fraud in verses 1 through 4. And then there's a shift again in verses 5 through 9. Read it with me. Then... The fifth time, because he'd already told him no four times to flattery, right? Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, come join me in Ono, and his hands was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true. Now you know me, if Geshem's talking, he's like E.F. Hutton. What did Geshem say? Have you ever noticed... People who spread rumors always cite somebody of significance because they want our attention. So Geshem said, it's true. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. What did he just say? There's a rumor out there that Nehemiah, you built the wall. Not for the sake of the people of Jerusalem or for the kingdom of God, but you built the wall so that you could become king. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There's a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come let us meet together. 
I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. There's a shift. It started with intimidation. Nehemiah didn't buy it. When everything started working, it went from trickery to threats. It went from come and join us at the resort to now we couldn't defeat you with our strength. We cannot defeat you with flattery. So now we're going to defeat you with intimidation. Now there's some interesting things there that I think that we ought to point out. Then the fifth time Sanballat sent his aid with me, same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. Now, a sealed letter had a purpose. It was from one head of state or one person of importance to another person. It was a private document. In other words, it was interaction between us. But this letter, this letter that's got the false report in it, this letter that has the rumor, this letter that's raising up and says that, that you are trying to become the king, this is an unsealed letter. So this letter ought to be unfolded, opened up, and hey, look at it. You know what I'm talking about? You're sitting next to somebody and they act like they're taking, checking their text message but instead of with their phone being like this where you can't see it, it's like this and then you kind of go, what does that text say? Ooh, she did that. Yeah. It's an unsealed letter. We want everybody to know that you're revolting. We want everybody to know that you're king. So how did Nehemiah respond? The first thing he did in verse 8 was he denied the rumors. You've got this all in your head. You're making it up. I'm going to tell you this is what's the truth and I'm not going to fall for you. Nehemiah's response was deny. Look at verse 8. There is a verse. I sent them this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. Man, you're crazy. He prayed for strength. Look at verse 9. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Why? So that he could get back to the task. So when Satan comes at you, have an impact. When Satan comes at you, deny the rumors. When Satan comes after you, deny the strength. When Satan comes after you, get back to God's task. What he put you here to do. What he called you to do. The, the everyday grind or the every week grind of ministry is, can be difficult. When you're the leader of a small group. And you know that everybody else is out having fun and you're at home studying to teach that lesson. You're like, you know what? I could set my lesson to the side and I could go da-da-da-da-da. But no, remember what God called you to do. You keep your hand to the plow. You study, you prepare, you teach, you pour into. And you begin to watch God raise up people. Yesterday, I was having a conversation and somebody said, you know, it's cool to see the next generation leading forward. Well, you don't just lead forward. Somebody trained up. Somebody invested. Somebody believed in. Somebody gave opportunity. Somebody was there. And can I tell you that what our community, what our state, what our nation, what this world needs 
is grown-ups being grown-ups and getting involved into people's lives and not just throwing up our hands every time they stumble, but we need to let them see us walking beside them, believing in them, not just telling them what they ought to want to hear, but telling them what they ought to hear and then living it out in front of them. Guys, the greatest power of change in this nation is not in what we elect or don't elect, but it's in communities walking. Tim, I think you put that on Facebook this week. It's about walking beside, living with, being the difference, supporting the difference around people. He said, you're making rumors. I'm praying for strength, and I'm going to get back to what God has called me to do. Verse 9 is that prayer. This is, I think, now the third time that after he prayed for four months that he's at an intersection or a crisis of belief or a point of decision that before he responds, he says, Now, God, what do you want me to say? God, what do you want me to do? That's a lot of wisdom. So now, the intimidation. Verse 10. Once again, the enemy switches his gameplay. Verse 10 says that one day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deleah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, let us meet in the house of God. Ooh, that's pretty powerful, right? Who as a believer would not want to go into the house of God, Christopher? Who as a believer, as a person of faith, would not want to walk into the house of the Lord? So he says, let's go to the house of God. But now Nehemiah knows something. He senses there's a tactic. He senses there's a scheme. Because when we keep reading it, he says, let us go into the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. There is a portion of truth here. It is good to go to the house of the Lord. There's a portion of truth here that it is. there were men that wanted to kill him. But where's the lie? Because in Nehemiah's culture, structure, and time that he lived, only priests were allowed to go to the temple. So if Nehemiah walked into the temple, he was walking in disobedience to God. The priest was supposed to be there. Nehemiah is a good man. Nehemiah sought the Lord. Nehemiah had his eyes on the prize and all of that stuff. But he was not a priest. So if he did that one thing, he was disobedient. He said, let us do this. And he says, wait a minute. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. A new tactic. What are some observations? In verse 12 and 13, Nehemiah had right courage. In verse 14, he had right praying. It says, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. 
He had right courage. He was willing to stand up. He would say, you know what? Everybody else might do it that way, but I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to follow the teachings of the law and the commandment. I'm not going into that temple. I'm not going to fall prey. And I'm going to cry out to you and say, God, remember them. They're working against you. God, the best I know how I'm working for you. Verse 15 and 16 says that he completed the project. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, they, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of the Lord. He completed the project. He did not let himself get sidetracked after he had right priorities, after he had right praying, and he had the, uh, stood up against the wrong actions but listen to me Satan never quits verse 19 moreover they kept reporting to me his good deeds and then telling him what I said and Tobias sent letters to intimidate me Tobiah had intermarried with the Israelites. Now this had nothing to do with ethnicity, but everything to do with religion and worship and following Jehovah Yahweh God. And God had said, I don't want you to marry outside of me. I don't want you to marry outside of faith. I don't want you to marry outside of, of following me. Don't marry with those who don't follow me. And they began to take advantage they began to say they kept reporting to me his deeds. Brothers and sisters, here's one overriding truth. The devil never quits. He's never going to give up while we're still alive. God has wonderful blessings for us. But we've got to stay about what we're about. Regardless of what the news reports, regardless of what's happening on this side of the world or that side of the world, we only have one job. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all these things are added to us. That's our job. That's our job. And God says, behold and see the battles the Lord has won for you. So what are the action steps? The action steps are practice saying yes to God's priorities. I heard a story about a man who lived in the country. And he came to town to visit his cousin who lived in the big city. And one day they were walking down the street and the country cousin said, Hey, listen, there's a cricket. And the city cousin listened and he turned his head and he walked around and he said, I can't hear it. In just a moment the country cousin leaned over and he picked up the cricket and said, Look, here it is. The city cousin was amazed. They were walking down the road, and in a minute, the country cousin reached in his pocket and pulled out a quarter, and everybody on the sidewalk and dropped, and everybody on the sidewalk stopped and looked because they heard it. It got their attention. You see, we hear what we're listening for. What are you listening for today? Are you listening for the word from the Lord it says, I am your God. I am in control. And here is your task. Perform it. Trust me. Let's live it. What's the other action step? Practice saying no to Satan's schemes. 
Nehemiah had several intersections where he could have said, that sounds good. That sounds right. Maybe I should do this. But every time he said, Lord, and God directed his path. Ladies and gentlemen of Mount Zion Baptist Church, God has not stepped off the throne. He is still in control. He is still working his redemptive person plan for the saving of people. For his name to be spread. For his glory to be shown. But he is looking for those whose heart belong to him. So that he can strengthen and support it. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more or to contribute to online giving, please visit www.mzbc.org. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear more, simply click on the Sermons tab or subscribe to the Simple Truth Podcast through iTunes. Thank you for supporting Mount Zion, where you are welcome, wanted, and needed.